as I, uh, I take a series of scripture, a season of scripture, and I read through like what the lectionary says is coming up or make plans. And I, so when I look back at it, I kind of know what the, the overall topic of that scripture was. Um, I write a little couple sentence summary and in my notes for this morning, I summed up the scripture like this. As Paul goes to the synagogue, some believe others are jealous and try to hurt them. <laughs> um, and I think that really sums up this passage still. Um, Paul led out of his experience. Last week, we talked about how Paul had been uniquely gifted and called for the work that he would do. He started from what he knew. When he entered a town, he always went to the synagogues first or, or whatever was the local place of worship if it wasn't a Jewish synagogue. There he would argue and defend on the Sabbath uh, in the name of Jesus. This would have been a, a somewhat common practice, um, minus the Jesus part. Um, as I've said before, rabbis and other males who were educated would read a scripture as part of the Sabbath worship, and then they would interpret the way that they understood it. They would reinterpret interpret timeless scripture for each new time. They believed the power of scripture kept coming alive in new ways for each generation. And so Paul goes to where he knows and talks from the place he has been and what he knows to tell them about Jesus. And he, he does it with the patience as he goes over the course of three weeks to the synagogue, it says. Three Sabbaths. This wasn't a one and done. This, this is what his missionary journeys looked like uh, that we find throughout Acts and as we see the examples of it in the letters of the New Testament. He would go into a town, stay, preach at the synagogue, and work with the new believers there to organize and to teach them, to, to disciple them, to use our current word. He lived alongside of them. It's important to note that the text says some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So in this teaching, it's not just traditional Jews that were believing, but there were also Greeks. So we see this widening of who is being invited in. So it's likely that, that Paul is probably not just preaching at the synagogue if Greeks are also hearing about this, uh, those not born out of the Jewish tradition. Um, and his words are spreading. The message is spreading. Also, um, at the same time, women who had wealth had started to have more power and more options. These would have been widows or unmarried women, probably who would have gained an inheritance. Um, in some areas during this time, women started being allowed to, to get the inheritance when their husband or their father died, rather than just having it go to, to the next family, the next male family member, and then having to marry um, uh, that male in order to be able to, to continue to survive. This wasn't for every woman. This was just for those who were in the um, upper financial, um, upper levels of um, financial um, stability and, um, and wealth. These would have been women in the upper levels of society, and that's important. These were, we, these are women of means. Um, women were incredibly influential in the early Christian movement in this way. 
They provided funds and resources, and they also gave ministry a level of legitimacy in places, um, along with providing leadership for these new churches. Again, I've said this before, but women aren't mentioned often in scripture. And so when they are, it means something. You pay attention to it. There's a reason it's there. And in a story that sounds like something out of the news today, or at least the news during um, the the 60s and the civil rights movement, um, it makes some people angry. They don't want anything new being taught. And so they go hunting for Paul and for Silas. Our scripture said, but the Jews became jealous and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplace, um, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. They got upset and they created pandemonium so that it looked like Paul and Silas and these new Christians had done the damage. They were the blame. This idea of unsettling a system uh, yourself and then blaming it on a group of people that really had nothing to do with it still happens all the time in politics today. The mobs couldn't find Paul and Silas, and so they go to Jason's house. I mean, I know Paul is still a name that we use often. I just, Jason doesn't seem like a name you ought to find in the middle of the Bible. (laughs) So when I found it this week, I was like, Jason, there's a Jason in here. But yes, Jason has taken the risk and is letting Paul and Silas um, hang out and stay in their home, knowing that there is a risk. Um, They couldn't find Paul and Silas, and so they dragged Jason and some of the believers before the city authorities, shouting, these people have been turning the world upside down, have come here also. I love that. These people who have been turning the world upside down, flipping the whole way that we understand things on its head. That's what happens when Jesus enters a system. We talked last week that systems and institutions work really hard to stay the same, to keep the same systems of power in place, to keep the same understandings they've they've always had. They don't want to change because they are gaining something from the way that it is. Their argument really isn't just about Jesus. This is about power. Because they go on to say they are saying there is another king Everyone is disturbed, but once they collect that bail money, they're, they're free to let them go, which does sound like something you would see in the news today. So what can we as individuals and as a church uh, that are rebuilding lives during this time um, learn from this scripture passage? First, Paul goes where he knows. He grew up in the Jewish church. He knows that world. I believe that our educations, our experiences, our learning, our gifts, each equip us in a unique way. Um, This week, I just thought about the diversity um, that we have amongst what we're skilled in, what we're gifted in, our different types of jobs, uh, students who who are um, the different talents that you have and the different places that you go. We all go places that, that nobody else in our community goes. We are uniquely equipped and called and placed in specific spots that, that are unlike anybody else.
Each of us bring a unique set of experiences and day-to-day living that's part of our calling in this world. We each just need to start with where we are and think about the influence we have and the places we go all the time and with gifts, education, and experiences that we have. Second, in this life of following Jesus, we always do what we do in relationship with others. There are always other people that are willing to support us, that are asking for our support. Here in this short passage of scripture, we we see Paul speaking to those who would be leaders and supporters of the early church. Those who came to believe uh, his words, including that group of leading women. It includes Jason who allowed them to stay in his home when he knew there would be risk. While we are each individually called, we don't do this alone. In a group of pastors that I'm in, we've been talking this past week about what we're learning about church and the future of church as we've known it during this time of COVID. Um, the, The concerns of if we linger online too long, will people not want to come back? Will they wonder what the point is? Can't we just do this on our own? Why do we even need traditional church and the community of a church? And I I do think that raising questions is a good thing and it's it's what we need to do in our churches. But I I think when we want to know what church means and what it should look like, we, we look back to this early movement of the way and we see that the people of God, the people of Christ have always done this together The message of Christ, the work of God in our world is so incredible and powerful, we want to share it with others when we are fully living into it. And it is something we want to share with others as we we bring our individual pieces to the table. We'll keep revisiting this idea as we walk with this early church, but, but the communion table is more enjoyable, it is more complete when we all bring what we have to give. And third and finally, We don't control the outcome, but we have to be faithful. Power and control are intoxicating, and people will work hard to keep them. My Bible entitles this section of scripture, The Uproar in Thessalonica. The Uproar. Change always brings an uproar. We are seeing that around our world today. The pandemic has opened our eyes to things. It changes the path we've been on and it shakes it up. When we don't have solid ground, when we're not too busy, when we, the world we've known has been turned upside down, there's room for us to pay attention to what really matters, for us to learn, for us to ask the hard questions. And the change is hard for others to understand. We work really hard to keep things, all the pieces, all the players exactly the same. And we see the worlds and the lives we have built and and examine them. As we look at public policy on how we spend our resources as a country and, and see the discrepancy of money that goes towards medical advances and caring for others around the world. Because as much as we want to believe we're all in this alone, we we have learned how inextricably we are tied to others. As we have our eyes opened to our country's own historic problems, um, our our own historical founding as a racist country and the, the systemic problems that still exist today, 
As we think about our lives and the priorities that have guided us, we are learning. We are creating an uproar. We cannot control the outcome, but but we have to keep asking those questions. We have to keep learning. We have to keep speaking out in the world, even if we get it wrong sometimes, even if we don't know all the things yet, even if even if we mess up. We have to love big and sacrificially and know that we cannot control the results. Sometimes people will hear and believe, and sometimes they just will want to start a riot to keep their own power. This morning, are you willing to be part of an uproar? What would an uproar in your own life and in your own little world look like? And what kind of uproar is Mosaic being called to make in our community? Will you pray with me?